Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. Or should I say bonjour? <laughs> bonjour. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> okay, we're, we have used up our French. No. <laughs> so, so I know it was a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't talked to you since you ran the Paris Marathon. So I have to hear about it. We have to hear about it. Uh, well, it was um, it was a lot of fun in retrospect. It's been two weeks mm-hmm. now, so it's the the memory is you know is getting rosier and rosier with each passing day. Passing day, um, <laughs> you know, it, it it's a really nice marathon. It's um, pretty flat and oh. uh, it's gorgeous. It goes through all the you know major sites and it goes through a couple of parks. Um, but mm-hmm. but you know, one thing is that. Um, uh, traveling to a marathon is really hard and Mm -hmm. the way it fell in my travel it was the beginning of um it was my daughter's spring break and the race was at the beginning of the week so in Mm -hmm. some ways that's good because then you're done with the race and you can you know just tour around and climb the Eiffel Tower on marathon legs and that sort of thing um (laughs) but it's also you know it it put a lot of pressure on the marathon day in terms of like being jet lagged and dehydrated Uh and and kind Uh of out of sorts trying to figure out your way around so um I I recommend it but but it's also like you you have to recognize that it's an extra challenge yeah sure and you had been to Paris before or not I had been there but it had been since um, the year 2000, so almost 20 years. Uh, oh, and, sure. and it's changed a lot. I, I think travel in general has just changed so much over those years. And you were in Paris yourself um, over Christmas, were you not? Uh, yes, my entire family was there. We went there and actually had an epiphany while I was there, which was I had uh, daydreamed about running the Paris Marathon for a number of years. And while I was there, I decided I would not do it because... You know, it's taken me close to, it's taken me actually 20 years to get back. No, no, maybe like 17 years to get back to Paris. And I'd been there, I don't know, three or four times before that without kids. And, you know, I mean, it's a long way away. There's a lot of places I want to go in this world. And, oh, yeah, it's expensive to get there. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I just was feeling that if I am fortunate enough to get back to Paris sometime in my life, I don't um, want, given that Jack's not a runner and, and all that stuff, I just, I don't want to, um, quote unquote, ruin a perfectly good time in Paris by running a marathon. <laughs> yeah, that's what my daughter Nina keeps saying to me is, you know, mom, people travel without running marathons. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? I'm sorry, I, I can't hear you. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, so, and there, I have heard there's a lot of cobblestone. Did you find that to be the case? Um, there is some, but it wasn't. It wasn't tons and tons, and it wasn't. It wasn't that. You know, it wasn't so much that it was bad. The thing that's honestly the the biggest running challenge is that they don't serve sports drink on the course. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, as an American runner, you're used to having Gatorade every couple of miles. So um, right, that, was, right. that was a thing to plan around for sure. Uh-huh. And so they just said, oh, 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 for, for water. Is that what they would say to you? Well, they uh. didn't say, water, oh, 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 but they had water bottles out. Um, and that's oh. what the drink is. And I mean, you know, I knew that going in. So it wasn't a surprise, but, mm-hmm. but it's something to, mm-hmm. to train around and plan for. And do they hand out goose or anything, nope. any type of nutrition? No. Um, the nutrition is apples, oranges, bananas, raisins, 
gingerbread, mm. which is really actually gingerbread. I was kind of hoping for cookies uh, and pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> wow, gingerbread like 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 a couple inches thick gingerbread, like a like slice slab- of bread. I, I didn't oh. take any until I crossed the finish line and I picked up a piece, and it was so. It had obviously been cut for a while and sitting out for a while. It was so stiff and hard. It was like cardboard. I was like, why would you eat this? <laughs> well, it has molasses in it. Isn't molasses like good for, I don't know, your muscles or I don't know, something. But uh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have an extra special show today because we have two guests. And who those guests are makes them extra special. They are Sarah and Ryan Hall. I hope those names are familiar to you. Sarah is a professional runner and Ryan um, has a long storied career in the marathon, but he's now retired. Sarah and Ryan met at Stanford University where they both ran. Sarah and Ryan are parents to four daughters. Ryan is a two-time Olympian and holds the American record for the marathon, which he set at Boston in 2011. Sarah was the 2012 U.S. National Cross Country Champion, but she's since shifted to running longer races, including marathons. She just ran Boston in April, and she also just um, had a fabulous performance at the USATF National Championships at the Pittsburgh Half Marathon. And Ryan is also the author of a book that just came out a few weeks ago. It's called Run the Mile You're In, Finding God in Every Step. After this quick break, Tish and I will talk with Sarah and Ryan Hall. Stay with us. Sarah and Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. Good, good. So you have four amazing daughters. Tell us a bit about them, including how their lives uh, merged with yours. You want to start, Ray? <laughs> um, yeah, that, I mean, that is uh, quite a story. Um, but basically, you know, we were over in Ethiopia training over there as professional. We were both running professionally at the time. I've since retired, but, um, we've gotten the privilege of traveling and exploring all over the world, different training locations, but there's something about Ethiopia and the culture and the people that just grabbed us. And we just, we just fell in love with, with the, the country. Um, but one of the things that really broke my heart was being on the streets in Addis and seeing, uh, you know, young kids, running around the streets, shining shoes, just trying to do whatever they can to make a, a couple cents to survive off of. And um, I was just thinking about these kids like, man, like, I know, like me just adopting like a couple kids is not a huge difference in the in light of how many orphans are on the streets of Addis alone. But like, like, how can I take a small step towards helping? And there's lots of different ways we want to do that. But one of the ways was through adoption. So, um, you know, we'd always wanted to build our family uh, through adoption since, since, uh, well, really since Sarah's childhood, she always wanted to. And then when I met Sarah, um, I very much, uh, you know, started to mull it over and, and just think about like how amazing it is to build a family through adoption. So, um, you know, we, we started the process when we felt ready, we'd already been running, uh, I don't know about, what do you think, Sarah, seven or eight years before, um, we started, started the process of adopting. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then, we we were originally just going to adopt, you know, one as, you know, most people do starting out. But um, one thing that we noticed while we were training there, we'd go to these orphanages and visit and we noticed, you know, we're number 76 on a waiting list for, for our mm. future child. And yet there's all these older children in the orphanage are just waiting for families. And it just mm. like, 
that just did not make sense to me, you know? And especially after meeting the kids, I was like, I would take any one of these kids home in a second. So it was really that like face-to-face interaction that really kind of changed my heart. And then uh, I think Sarah's as well. I don't want to speak for her, but um, you know, we went home, we changed all of our paperwork up to adopt older children. And we became aware of our, our four uh, girls who were biological sisters or still are biological sisters. And uh, you know, they were looking for a family for them for about three years. And they were talking about potentially splitting them up and having two go to one family, one country, two go to family, another country. And, you know, coming from a big family, it's like, man, you don't, you don't set split up. And I just felt like at that time, like I was just kind of putting a little seed of like love for those girls in my heart. And it just was something that um, has grown and continues to grow even now. Like they were on the other side of, of adopting them. It's like all these fears that I was worried about, like my own inadequacies. But uh, was I going to follow those fears or was I going to follow this like seed of love that I was feeling growing inside me? And I'm so grateful, you know, that I made it, we made the decision to follow the path of love rather than the path of fear. And um, it's a, that's a wonderful and beautiful story. And, it, but, and it's also such a big change, right? It's a change for everybody. There, it's a change for them because they're coming across the world and it's changed for you guys because you've been living your life as, as a couple, as pro runners for a long time. So Sarah, I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit about the adjustment to all of your new lives? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's interesting, but as we um, we're, we're contemplating taking on this, uh, changing our paperwork for older kids, we did a lot of um, talking to other families who adopted older kids specifically from Ethiopia or other places in Africa just about their adjustment. And pre- pre- every single family we talked to had had a really difficult adjustment. Um, so that was that was pretty eye-opening. It was definitely like we needed to count the cost. Like, like is this something we're willing to have our life really altered? Because um, Honestly, I was really enjoying my life at the time. I, we were traveling all over the world, like doing what we love for a career and had like like infinite freedom and and flexibility and time together. And um, so, so yeah, um, it, at the end of the day, like it was, it was really the need that, that said like, for me, it was kind of a, a matter of like, I always wanted to do this. And, and as a professional athlete, it's always hard to make, a decision like this because like ideally your life kind of revolves around yourself and like it's you don't you know it's hard to make sacrifices but for me it was kind of a moment of like deciding not to sell out and have my life just be about my running like I wanted to to be true to like this part of that I always envisioned of myself and, and my heart that really did want to give and um and provide opportunity and stuff so so yeah, we we just kind of took the plunge, and um, I, I'd like to say we like heard a really clear clear voice from God about it or something, but we didn't really. It was kind of just a choice, and uh, and then bringing our girls home, um, we kind of were just braced for all the things we'd heard from other people, like all the you know just difficulty having your kids uh, bond to you, and just the massive culture shock and um kind of all those and like you know obviously these kids are coming from 
a traumatic background, which is what led them to where they are. So dealing with that trauma and how it manifests. So we were kind of expecting all of those things, but our girls thus far, I mean, things can change any time, but thus far I've really kind of broken the mold. They've been pretty amazing with how resilient they are and just how they've adapted to kind of being in this alien planet, you know, just compared to where they were. Um, and, and, you know, they'd never been to school before coming here. So that, that's a massive transition, but they, you know, a couple weeks after we got home, we, we were like, well, let's just try school. And like, they didn't speak the language and, you know, our, our oldest ones are, are teenagers. And so, but they were just like troopers. Like they just kind of were like, all right, like, let's go for it. And just had a good attitude every day. And like, um, so, so yeah, I mean, in that way, the adjustment has been easier than I thought, but I think it's been harder in other ways. Um, I think like my own adjustment personally has been challenging, just like it's been a really, really big life change, as you can imagine. And, and since I'm still competing and stuff, that definitely has its challenges. And I think just like, you know, growing as a family, like it's not really natural to feel like like a 15 year old that's a developed woman is like your kid overnight, you know, like that takes time kind of growing together as a family. And um, so, yeah, so it's definitely, definitely has challenges. And I I think like the the school part is probably the the most challenging, not just for them, but for us, because it's like every night we're all tired from a long day and we're trying to do geometry homework with my oldest daughter, who's only been in school three years, you know, and she didn't have any math foundation and she's just trying to like survive in high school. And so, um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's daily stuff like that, that kind of, it's kind of a choice. You just are like, all right, like we're going to dig in and, and be in this together. Right. Figure yeah, it out. Yeah. So, so Sarah, yeah. you alluded to that. You alluded to that, Sarah, about how much your life changed, you know, that you were, didn't have any kids. And then suddenly you have four children, including, um, you know, that they're, they're not, they're not all babies. And so, I mean, how, describe how your life as a professional or how a day for you was before as versus now. Yeah. So before, um, like we definitely had more flexibility to train wherever we wanted, um, to race a lot more often, do, uh, do altitude stints, things like that. But, but now when your kids are in school, you know, you're kind of locked into like one location. So, so that was a big change. Cause I, I like change. I like being in different environments all the time. Um, and then day to day, it's like, I, I still have been able to get in all the training I need to do. Um, fortunately they're all have been school age since we brought them home. So we mm-hmm. didn't have like a baby or toddler that was always around, but it's, I always am able to get it done you know, during the day, it's just not always the timing that I want to, like, maybe I'm out at the soccer park, like doing my core work, like in between halftime, you know, and things like that. <laughs> you just have to be like, definitely like more flexible. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think just, um, just trying to be like, I think the energy component is, is probably the biggest challenge where before, like after training, I could just veg out and, like mm-hmm. watch Netflix or read or, you know, do stuff like that. Now it's like, you know, parenting doesn't, it's not just what you do hands-on. It's, it's meeting with teachers. It's, you know, like all the stuff that you're doing, even when they're in school and then when they're home, it's helping with homework, stuff like that. So, 
so that definitely um at times i i it's hard to compare myself to like my old self or even my competitors but i try to just remind myself i've improved every year as a mom um in my competition so so even though it's a challenge like it's not stopping me from from reaching my potential hmm. that's lovely that's lovely. Every every mother who's listening to this totally understands what you're talking about. Maybe not the pro runner part, but the tra- the part about doing all the stuff that you have to do. Um, the changes might yeah. have been less sudden, <laughs> but now you've got four all at once. And did you guys did you guys move to Arizona from California? We did, yeah. This summer we moved from, uh, we were in Redding, California. We moved to Flagstaff, Arizona, where we had been splitting time since 2010. But yeah, we're up in the mountains, so our, our girls had their first uh, taste of snowy winter, but uh, mm-hmm. they made it through. So, and what made you decide to move there? Well, it was a combination of factors. Like, as I mentioned, um, not being able to do altitude stints, it helps to live at altitude. Um, and Ryan and I really love the mountains. And um, before we would alternate like a month in Reading, a month in the mountains, kind of all throughout the year. But um, but we kind of were looking forward to being back in the mountains, but in like a very livable city. So Blackstaff's a nice balance that way. And we really love this free public charter school that some of our yeah. girls are at that um, is ranked number seven in the world or in the nation um, for schools. And so to be able to have that wow. in the mountain town is, is a huge blessing. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of a combination. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So, and, and for people who don't know you, um, the two of you, um, maybe they live under a rock or something, but, but could you give just a short background for each of you? I mean, Ryan, you've alluded to the fact that you're retired now. Um, and Sarah, you're um, certainly a lot more, um, in the news these days for your running. Kind of talk us a little bit about, um, each of you about your, um, evolution as a runner, Ryan, why don't you start? Yeah. Um, so I started running when I was 13 and, uh, Sarah and I actually met through running, uh, when we were in high school because we were both in California and I uh, went to Stanford together we started dating first week of freshman year. And, you know, we were running Aww. all the way through college, obviously. And we got married right after college ended like three months later and, uh, joined the mammoth track club where we began our professional running career. And, um, I, uh, at the time I was focused on the 5k, but I moved up to eventually to the half marathon and marathon distance, um, had pretty good success initially with, um, you know, setting the American record in the half marathon in my first, first half marathon in 2007 at Houston, uh, when I ran 59.43 and then, uh, went on to, to get a taste of the marathon in London that year, later in the year, I ran 208, I think 24, my memory's getting a little bit hazy on that, but, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, just kind of took off with, with ru- the pursuit of seeing how fast I could get over the marathon distance and, um, won the 2008 Olympic trials, which was technically in 2007, but, um, won that Olympic trials and Olympic record time and then qualified for my first Olympic team and then, uh, qualified again in 2012 for the London Olympics, um, finishing second in that trials. Uh, my, mar- my Olympic marathons were not uh, the physical uh, highlight of my career. I didn't have great days either in Beijing or London. In Beijing, I finished 10th, which wasn't terribly bad, you know, looking back at it now. But at the time, I was, I was pretty devastated with that. 
And then uh, in London, I had to drop out of my first race of my entire life from the time I was 13 to that moment. I'd never dropped out wow. of a race and I uh, wow. had to drop out of that one with the upper hamstring injury. And um, that was that was also, as you can imagine, really, really difficult uh, to handle. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd say the other big kind of career highlight for me was the 2011 Boston Marathon running 204.58 there. Um, it was just mm-hmm. one of those surreal days where you're like, I can't believe that just happened. It felt felt like I was living in a dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, how about you? Yeah, um, I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, um, kind of in the wine country area, and just fell in love with, like, exploring the trails across the street from my home in this massive state park, and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of had um, just success early on, like, I won this California state championship in cross country and the mile and two mile my freshman year of high school, um, which is, and ended up 10th in the nation in cross country, and um, so kind of definitely had um had to deal with like some pressure after that and stuff but was able to to still win the high school national championship um my senior year and went on to Stanford and um and yeah had had a little bit of an up and down career there similar to Ryan but um but was able to to get second multiple times at NCAAs never quite got that victory but um but moved on to running professionally for ASICS which I'm still sponsored by them now almost 14 years later which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy I never thought I'd be doing this for 14 years I, I thought maybe <laughs> I'd do it for a few years and then my my real dream was to do international development work in Africa somewhere um oh. and like be living in a mud hut you know in a really rural area <laughs> so it's pretty funny because uh-huh. my life taken just a very different different change from that but what's neat is um I felt like when I was deciding to to run professionally God told me um, you can do more through your running than you can just like with your own two hands living there. And that's huh. definitely come to be the case uh, when we've, we've uh, done some work with World Vision, but then went on to start our own foundation, the Hall Steps Foundation. And we've gotten mm-hmm. to just do quite a few projects throughout East Africa with orphan care, clean water, um, education, and and different things. So we're, we're continuing to do that now. So um, so it's neat because it's kind of a merging of, of my passions. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, my, my pro career has, has also been up and down at times. Um, I've, I've won numerous national titles, but I've also had had some real se- uh, seasons of struggle. But um, but really, I'm enjoying it the most I ever have right now, which is, is pretty surprising. So <laughs> it's been a fun ride. Mm-hmm. So, so you've had two standout races in the um, past month, Sarah. So let's start um, the most recent one just on Sunday where you and Steph Bruce were really battling it out for first at the um, USATF champ- national championships in the half marathon in Pittsburgh. So kind of um, take us into that race and give us a, a few details about that, please. Yeah, um, it was fun to, to get back out there at the U.S. half champs on Sunday. Um, so I ran the Boston Marathon it was mm-hmm. less than three weeks before that race. And, uh, and I, unfortunately leading into Boston, I, I was coming off the longest season of injury of, of my career so far. So, um, mm-hmm. I had, I'd gotten a peroneal tendon injury, uh, in my, my fall marathon and had to drop out, um, which I've also only done one other time. 
And then that just lingered and lingered. And then when I got back into training, I ended up uh, injuring my lower back. Um, and so it's kind of like back to back, the two longest injuries. And, um, mm. but you know, I, I cross trained as hard as I could. And I actually got myself in really good shape, um, cross training. So I was having some of my best tempo runs like right away, uh, as I started back running, but, um, I only had six weeks of running going into Boston. So it wasn't really yeah. enough time to, to callous your legs to the marathon, mm-hmm. which is especially a course like Boston, you need that more than anything with all the downhills. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I kind of struggled at the end of Boston and, um, but you know, I don't really have any regrets. I'm glad I did it. And, um, and then I, but I was looking to, you know, as soon as my legs came around, continue to race. And so Pittsburgh was a, an opportunity to just get out there and, and like with whatever I had, just, just start my season. So, um, so yeah, I was thankful that my legs are feeling good enough that, that I was able to be in the hunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sarah, can you talk a little bit about that actually? Cause Pittsburgh, you know, just three weeks after Boston, I mean, even if you don't have your a race on, on Boston marathon day, you still have run 26 miles pretty hard and that's hard on the body. So <laughs> did you feel like, you know, well, recovered enough? I mean, obviously you ran a great race in Pittsburgh, but, but how did that go in terms of recovery? Yeah, um, I felt recovered, like, as far as my energy, um, just because at Boston, I was so limited, like, my, my quads just stopped working, like, before it was really that difficult for me cardiovascularly, so, um, so I felt like it, it did, it was the longest I've ever taken to recover from a marathon, like, typically, I've bounced back from marathons really well, and I, like I won the U S national marathon title five weeks after running a PR in Frankfurt, um, a year and a half ago. And before I've, I've done the world cross country championships 13 days after a marathon and things like that. So it wasn't totally unusual to turn it around for me. Um, but in this case, yeah, my, I mean, I could hardly walk the first few days. I was really, because I had so little kind of pounding going into it, it was kind of the double whammy of, of that and the course together (laughs) and we saw we saw pictures on on uh social media and again you know every every everybody who's ever run a marathon totally relate to the to the pain of like Mm -hmm. where is that finish line (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) ryan i wanted to ask you something like what's it like going back to boston so this place where you set your magical pr and in 2011 of 20458 which is so awesome so but what's it like to go back as as a husband as a dad as a spectator yeah it's it's definitely way different i always tell people like the the biggest difference is when you are the one racing you get nervous beforehand but when the gun fires all those nerves just disappear and you're just you know doing your thing Whereas when I'm coaching, you know, you're nervous beforehand and then the gun fires and you get even more nervous as the race is unfolding, you know, like um, it's, it's a totally different experience watching it. But with that said, too, like it's kind of a fun way for me to um, I, I also know exactly what Sarah's experiencing as she's out there. And I can I can look on the look on her face or the sensation that I'm seeing with my eyes of her running and I can feel what she's feeling out there. So um, I, I think it, it's really helpful for me now as a coach to have gone through it myself and be able to relate to athletes like Sarah um, in a really 
real in a in direct way. So, so Ryan, talk to us about the title of your new book, Run the Mile You're In. What it means, what that title means to you as a father, as a former marathoner, as a man of faith. Yeah. Uh, so this was a mantra of mine that I'd pull on throughout my career all the time. Um, you know, I always tell people like, it's really scary, at least for me, it was to be on the starting line of the marathon because I'm, it's very intimidating. You know, it's like, I'm trying to run 445 per mile for 26 miles. And I know like how much it's going to hurt mile 22, 23, you know, like I know what's coming and it's very hard to like not be nervous and have anxiety and be worried about that on the starting line. So this was something Mm -hmm. I would tell myself over and over again, like, just like be here, be now do a great job with running the mile that I'm in right now. Like, like God's grace will be for, be there for me when I get to mile 23, 24. But right now it's just here for this mile. And so like, it's just a way for me to like pull myself back into this moment because I found for myself, sometimes it's the worry of what's to come. That's actually worse than traveling that road in itself, you know? Um, so it's just a way for me to kind of pull myself back. And, and I continue to tell myself that all the time, like daily, even now as a dad coach, author like I'm just constantly reminding myself like just be present with what you're doing right now like focus on this Mm -hmm. like don't it's so easy for my thoughts to drift towards my calendar my schedule things coming up and you know just always thinking about the future when really like I just need to be present in this current moment so um that was that was kind of the backstory behind the title and I think it it really kind of uh captures a lot of um, you know, what I'm personally going after. Mm-hmm. Well, I gotta tell you, Ryan, you are, can be an honorary mother runner because that's my, my, uh, business partner, Dimity always talks. She says either her mantra is either I am here now or, uh, you know, be, be where your feet are. And that, you know, fretting about that, that hill at mile eight or, you know, the, the discomfort you're going to be feeling in the final miles of a marathon doesn't do you any good when you're in mile two and just, you know, tr- trying to, keep staring down the course. So, um, so you are one of us, Ryan, I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, (laughs) um, So, and, and Ryan, toward the, toward the very end of your book, you write when something in your life dies, whether it's a job, a hobby, or a dream, I encourage you not to focus on what could have been and what is lost, but instead to look for the new life and the new opportunities that result. A new season is here. So Ryan, um, what's your new season? Yeah, uh, it's been fun. Like, cause I, to be really honest with you guys, I was always super nervous of the day I was going to retire, you know, running had been my passion, my craft, like what I was going after, like the driving thing of, you know, when I wake up in the morning, what I'm excited to do. And so I was nervous. I was like, what's going to happen when I no longer have this thing. And so, uh, you know, I got to the point where my body was just like, no moss, like, I've given you everything I can give you, like, there's nothing left for me to give you. That's what I felt like my body was telling me. And so, you know, with that, I was like, okay, like, it's, it's time now. And I made the decision based off of like, what had happened over a four year period of time from the London Olympics, all the way up to training for the 2016 trial. So it wasn't just like, 
because I've learned like I have I've had way more disappointments than successes in my career and I've learned that oftentimes I'll want to make big decisions in the wake of a really bad performance but usually when I do that I make really bad decisions so I've kind of learned like okay like let it pass and like let's take a bigger higher perspective and look big picture of what's actually happening here and so you know I just remember being on an airplane looking out um and just feeling like I was telling me like it wasn't meant to last forever and like look at the last four years look look at what your body's trying to communicate to you and that was the moment where I was like okay like this it feels like this season is over you know and there was kind of like a lot of those moments where it became very real that the season was over because you know I kind of tried it on where I was just telling Sarah that telling myself that that I was done running Mm -hmm. professionally but I wasn't telling other people just in case like I tried it on and it didn't feel right um but then there was the moment the New York Times article came out and you know the the public knew about my retirement and Sarah and I were joking with each other later in that day because you know everyone's like posting like 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 memories of my career and like it it, we both said like it kind of felt like I died that day (laughs) um (laughs) and and in some ways it really it was it was like the death of a season um and it was tricky to navigate but what I felt like God was encouraging me with is what what you read that the death of one season is just the birth of another season and we and that previous season that I was in was so that I could do better in this new current season I'm in you know like it's it's meant to carry all the lessons that you learned into the next season like that's why we go through seasons in life you know so uh, my new season you know I started just really small with coaching Sarah and um, just just love coaching her still love coaching her and then just kind of grew organically starting to coach a little bit more people online and um, and then now it's growing into we are just launching a friend and I are starting a personal online training business called run free which this is actually the first time I've ever talked publicly about it. Um, But yeah, so we're launching that and just trying to like get out all these things I've learned throughout my career, try and get it out and make it accessible to um, just the everyday runner. And because now my season, it's, it's not about me anymore. It's about me encouraging and helping and and clapping and you know celebrating other people's successes and um and i'm just loving kind of this new season of life nice nice so so since since i'm not sure we've ever had big breaking news on our podcast before so so (laughs) tell us about i mean if someone's listening and they want to be trained by ryan hall i mean is that something that could happen or is this just for elite and sub elite athletes or no yeah going after it's it's for everyone so yeah the name is run free training so people can check out our website runfreetraining.com uh, if they're interested in joining up but um you know the name comes from like my personal kind of mission statement of like i've i've found that i carry around so much pressure and so much like that stuff that's going on inside me that manifests itself in my running and so i've had to kind of travel this road of like cultivating an inner man that 
that I want to be that's going to allow me to perform optimally physically. So it's kind of like, let's get into your heart and see what's going on in your heart because we believe what's going on in your heart is going to come out of your body. So it's kind of unique in the sense that like we do go into the heart, but that is like just one of our five fingers. So, you know, we're, we'll provide traditional training plans. Um, we're going to address things like nutrition, rest, um, and then like weights, uh, you know, all, all the little things that come along with it as well, because running, it, it's not, if you want to see how fast you can get, it's not just a hobby. It needs to be a complete package. It needs to be a holistic approach to a lifestyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, so we love taking questions from the Another Mother Runner tribe on Facebook. So here are a few. And, and Sarah, this first one's for you. It comes from Maureen. And um, she says, Sarah's had a, some tough injuries over the past couple of years. Um, what fuels your fire to keep going? Yeah, um, that's a good one because, you know, as I mentioned, I've been doing this way longer than I thought. So, um, so you never know if maybe you hit those spots and you're kind of like, well, I don't really want to do the cross training. I'm good. I've got my family, you know, but, um, but that definitely wasn't the case. I felt a lot of fire to, to fight back and get back to full strength. And, um, I think a lot of that just comes from, um, just seeing a lot of potential in my training and just, I haven't gotten to see that fully manifest in the half and full marathon yet. And I, I would say that's probably a common thing because, the marathon, so it's so tricky to nail it in every aspect, you know, like there's such a learning curve with the event and so much that can go wrong and stuff that, um, and you only get to do them a couple times a year. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so yeah, I just feel like, um, especially last fall, I felt really ready for, for a breakthrough, um, fast time, but unfortunately that injury, um, kept me from finishing. So I think a lot of it is just, just wanting to see, uh, to see what my potential is and, and the fruits of all that hard work over the years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. So nice. Ryan, we have um, a, a lot of people wanted to hear about your uh, challenge, your world marathon challenge of doing seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Um, and uh, you know, how, how did that feel doing that um, now, you know, as going into it as, not uh, being a professional runner anymore and how, what the experience was like. Yeah, I, I love, you know, talking about this experience. I actually wrote two chapters about it in my book um, just because it was, it was really, you know, we talk about the death of a season. It's, kind of cool like it went full circle for me I went from a kid who hated to run to running you know when I was 13 to running 15 miles around the lake for my first run and then kind of my last marathon was this epic challenge of the seven marathon seven days seven continents and uh it was it was very fitting into my career it's like I went into it big and I I went out of it big but it was a completely (laughs) different experience you know like I was a good 40 to 50 pounds heavier uh, going into that race. I didn't train for it at all. Like I just kept doing weight training because <laughs> that's kind of my new hobby. And so my longest run leading up to that challenge was eight miles. And, uh, oh, and I only gosh. ran about three times a week. So my weekly mileage was probably somewhere around like 15 miles a week. <laughs> and, you know, that week <laughs> of the challenge, we were having to run 183 miles. Um, and traveling all over the world. So um, it was a really interesting experience, you know, like 
the the cover shot of my book is from the Antarctica marathon. That was like one of my mm-hmm. favorite marathons. Just so beautiful, and just like was surprised that I actually enjoyed that marathon. Uh, I think I, I don't. I think I was around like three twenty six or something for my time. And interestingly enough, so every single day I was getting faster and faster as the week was going on. So day five was in Morocco, and I ran three oh four in Morocco. And I was like, wow. I'm starting to like actually get in shape. It's like it's like an <laughs> insane shortcut to fitness, you know. Um, and I was I was starting to like lick my chops. I was like, I'm gonna no, try this at home. <laughs> no, do try this. It's, it's great. <laughs> uh, when, when, they the, when they hear the end of the story, they're not gonna want to try. <laughs> um, so after that 304 marathon i'm walking to go get lunch with my buddy mike wardian who was also doing the challenge and he's an amazing runner he was running fast not like like me but um and he knows like hey man you're kind of limping a little bit and i was like yeah my hip feels like a little bit weird but like you guys know with running like there's a lot of just like weird little Mm -hmm. tweaks you experience all the time so i wasn't overly concerned uh, until the next day in Dubai, I was running that marathon and it just started getting sharp. And I always tell people like kind of my rule of thumb is like, if it's getting worse as you go, or it's a sharp pain, like you don't run mm-hmm. through those things. But you know, here I am on day five, I'm like two marathons away from finishing this thing. And I'm like, I got to just grip my teeth and bear it and get through it. So I kind of like walk jog through the last half of that marathon. And then my hip was really screaming at me. Um, I remember we landed in Sydney for our last marathon the next day. And I tried to just like stand up off the plane. And like, I had the kind of like pain that takes your breath away kind of pain from my hip. And I was like, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) So that last (laughs) marathon, we started at uh was it three no one in the morning and i <sighs> finished when the sun was coming up it was 6 30 in the morning so it was a five and a half hour uh journey so but it, you know what? it's kind of cool like it helps me be able to you know like I, not everyone can relate to running a 204 marathon but i know it's like to run a five and a half hour marathon like I know that struggle and it's super hard like it's just as impressive that people finish five and a half hour marathons as that they you know I can run a 204 marathon like it's traveling the same road and in a lot of ways it's a lot harder to run five and a half hours so um, but yeah that was that was the end of the journey for me I, I gingerly at the finish line I got down on my hands and knees I took off my my shoes and I left them on the finish line, walked away barefoot, never looked back. And that was kind mm-hmm. of like a physical uh, way to show myself that it was a physical marking of the end of a season being like, that's it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, no more marathons since then. Um, but yeah, it was it was an epic way to end my career. Yeah. You had a lot of experience compressed into a one week time. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, and a lot of and, and, and a lot of our um, our readers on another runner said that they really appreciate um, that mm-hmm. you you give this uh, shout out to the back of the pack runners. Um, they appreciate your your perspective that that it's hard for for us too. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. it is. You know, like. I have a ton of respect for for people who you know because it's a lot harder to run a marathon when you're 
not in like world-class running shape like for us it's really fun for the first like you know anywhere between 13 and 20 miles of the race and yeah it hurts like crazy the last 10k but like we're kind of just floating through the first half you know and I know with my experience with this challenge there was never a sensation of floating like I felt like I was like like plodding along the entire time you know so um in a lot of ways it takes a lot more mental fortitude to to run a five and a half hour marathon than a two hour and four minute marathon Oh, you, you just won yourself a lot of fans there, Ryan. I just have to say that. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so um, uh, Amanda on our Facebook page has a question that several women echoed. And she says, how hard is it to coordinate training for the two of you? Uh, she says that her hubby and I are both runners and sometimes planning our training schedules. So we both get what we need slash want is more exhausting than actually training. Our kids are still young, so we know it'll get easier as they get older, but now it's quite a juggling act. So, you know, okay, so Ryan, you're not running anymore, but, you know, you are very dedicated to your weight training. And um, with Sarah's pro career, I mean, how do the two of you, um, you know, kind of handle that juggling act? Yeah, I think that it is a little easier when your kids are older. So our youngest, when we brought them home, was five. But, um, you know, we just try to keep them a little bit flexible, just like we're being flexible, you know, it's like everyone's kind of bending for each other. And, um, and so sometimes that means everyone's out at the track and we bring the little girls bikes and they're biking around the track. And then the older girls might go for a little run and then read in the infield or, you know, that's not like all the time, like we're not bringing them to like every track workout, but like occasionally, you know, that's going to be the case. But, um, I would say the, the, way that it's easiest is Ryan's willing to get up very early to do his. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that we actually go to bed sometimes before some of our kids go to bed because, Mm -hmm. um, because we found like the morning is the best time to kind of have uninterrupted training. So, um, yeah. Anything else, Ryan? Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. We had a, a fellow mom named Kathy who also has adopted from Ethiopia and um, she wanted to know, Sarah, what's your favorite Ethiopian food to eat? Oh, that's hard. Um, I love Ethiopian food, but there's a, I love the injera, the spongy bread. Um, and I love this dish called gomen besiga, and, which means like greens with meat. And they, it's like a long stewed kind of collard greens with um, lamb. And mm-hmm. it's, it's delicious. So yeah, you pretty much, you, it's hard to, we try to replicate it at home, but it's definitely not quite as good. I think it has a lot less butter than they use there. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan, how about you? Oh, I, I, so I have a pretty strong stomach. So when we're over in Ethiopia, I love this dish called kitfo. And it's uh, basically like minced up raw beef and they put all these spices and butter and stuff in it. And so I wouldn't recommend that for most, uh, they call us fringies over there, foreigners. Um, but, but I love it. It's so good. Are there many Ethiopian restaurants there in Flagstaff? Because I guess I hear in Portland, we have a ton of them. There is not, no. Um, That's one thing that was unfortunate. But although there is, you know, that means that there's opportunity for our girls here. You know, they talk about sometimes starting a four girls Ethiopian restaurant. So this might be the perfect place for that. 
Oh, that's awesome. They could do a food cart or something, start small, and then before they do there an actual go. restaurant, maybe. <laughs> yeah, good call. <laughs> well, Sarah and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, it was great chatting with you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us, guys. It was really great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. So, so such a busy life they have. And, you know, they just are on these journeys that I don't think they would have ever imagined they'd be on. So um, it's, it's, it's so, so hard to imagine what a huge change it must have been. Um, but oh. in, it, what a cool thing they're doing. And also, I have to just say, now I'm really hungry for Ethiopian food. And I do <laughs> not have a lot of Ethiopian restaurants in my town. <laughs> you need to come visit. I mean, I am about 1.2 miles from about three of them. And uh, oh, Queen of Sheba. Oh, it's so good. And yeah, when she said the injury, I was like, oh, yeah, I could go there and have lunch, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness all right and here is dimity to shed some light on what's going on in the train like a mother club hey hey everybody it's dimity here in denver my voice is still a little froggy um from the epic eau claire retreat uh but hopefully you can bear with me as i read this short train like a mother club corner this is coming from the group that is training for a marathon by heart rate it's called running by Heart rate, the marathon. <laughs> Woo, okay. And um, it's actually from Cindy, and I really like the sentiment that she expresses here. She says, I told my husband I was going to need to be Houdini to get in a run today. But after dropping one off at Shakespeare and the other at her music lessons and shutting off my phone so no clients could email or call, I had exactly 45 minutes to magic some hills. Was it fast? Nope. Was it wet? Yep. But a stolen run is the best kind. Thanks for being my motivation behind the scenes. She's got this beautiful picture of a lighthouse because she lives in South Portland, Maine. So congratulations on magicking some hills. Love that phrase. And we agree, a stolen run is the best kind of run. Congratulations, Cindy. Keep on training hard. And we will see you all next week. Bye. We appreciate you subscribing to and rating this podcast wherever you listen. Writing and rating helps other mother runners find our show. We appreciate it a ton. And hopefully um, those other mother runners will be appreciative as well. So thank you for doing that. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Happy miles.